Hi. I'm Gage. And I'm Ray. Welcome to Squidward again. And you're listening to Nora Report. <laughs> Not me for the third week in a row, not knowing what to do and going with the default Squidward setting couldn't be me. <laughs> It's like you just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> so hi everyone. As always, we hope you're having a good week and a good day and a, and good, a good life. life. And if you're new here, then welcome aboard. We're, yes. glad to, we're glad to have you. Yes, and I know there have been quite a few new people that have actually been commenting. And so we would like to tell you guys that we totally appreciate it. We love you guys being here. Yes, we love any and all feedback you guys have. It's actually pretty rad, the increasing numbers of people saying really nice things and kind things and new people finding our show and really liking it. It's it's yeah. super, super it's warm. It makes my ghoul heart warm. <laughs> what, what I love about it is like when people tell us that we have a really great sound and, you know, you guys just have been pumping us up with all this positive energy and we are just giving it right back. And it's a great, great community and I love it. Whether you know it or not, I lay in bed and I cry about all of you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Stephen, um, my boyfriend Stephen, he thinks that we should call our listeners gore whores. <laughs> gore whores? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, I don't know. Like, I like that. But at the same time, I could see some people being like, um, actually... Oh! <laughs> no. Um, right. That's going to be a no for me. So, so why don't you guys... Um, I will start a post, and you guys decide what we should call you guys. Come up with something catchy, and if we like it, we'll pick it. Yeah, because I don't know if Gorehor is the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but then again, it might be. Maybe I'm just overthinking it. If you guys want to be called Gorehors, then... By all means, then tell us that, and we we will gladly refer to you as such. But other than that, we don't really have a whole lot of business to unpack at the beginning of this episode. As usual, well, those of you who always listen, you know this as usual, but if you're new here, I'll make the announcement again. You can stay tuned to the very end, and that's where me and Ray will announce all of our social media platforms, just in case you want to follow us in all of our weird... weird. And, uh, yeah, I'm honestly really excited to, well, actually, no, let me rethink that. I'm actually not excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually full of anxiety because I know this is about to be a pretty rough one. Yeah. So, uh, I'm like the most non-excited form of excited that I could be. I'm actually really nervous. Yeah, <laughs> and you are actually the one that texted this to me. Uh-huh. And so, like, you didn't read the article at all, did you? No, no, no. Basically, what happened is I was just, you know, if you, you know me, you know my YouTube history and my web history is full of true crime research, but I was researching a couple of ideas for cases that I wanted to cover in the upcoming, you know, weeks. Weeks, yeah. And... I found this article, it was just an article, like a link to an article, and just the title of it 
made <laughs> me kind of not okay. So I was like, I'm not going to look at this because if I look at this, this is going to be thrown into my ever growing master list that I'm never going to get to the bottom <laughs> of. So I just texted it to you. I was like, hey, you know, check this out. See if, you know, if it's interesting. I just found right. this and it looks awful. And then I think it was maybe two hours later, like, cause after I sent that you read it and then it was just complete silence for like two hours. <laughs> and then you finally texted me and you were just like, um, yeah, okay, actually this just kind of like <laughs> fucked my world up a little bit. So, um, <laughs> because in those two hours that yeah. I didn't say anything back, I was watching <laughs> different documentaries on it and it, it it's fucked bad. me up. Like, yeah, it was bad. So today's story is, sad and shocking and just wow 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 um <laughs> yeah, the, the more i got into this case the more i was just like oh my god oh Ooh. my god woo wee Wipes it, it definitely made me uncomfortable and you know there were certain things um like before when we've had research days you know i'm sitting there looking at autopsy photos and you know there are certain things that I look into that you're just like, mm, no, mm, actually, I'm not going to look at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of get all the uh, the gruesome ones, it seems. <laughs> you get the gruesome ones and I get the sad ones. That, se <laughs> that, that seems to be like the vibe here between me and you. <laughs> but um, even this case made me extremely uncomfortable and... Hearing some of the witness testimony, it's it's a lot, you guys. This incident that happened was so terrifying oh that, my God. like, I, I, it's so brutal. I want to know how these people go to sleep at night. Oh, my God. After witnessing this, because I would just never sleep again. Like, just tell my brain, <laughs> you're done, and just never sleep again. <laughs> and there's my heart sinking down into the pits of my, what word do I always say? Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, guys, Lord. grab your snacks and get settled in. And maybe something for anxiety, because this is about to be really, really, really awful. So, yeah, let's get into it. On July 30th, 2008, a 22-year-old Canadian man named Tim McLean was riding a Greyhound Canada bus along the Trans-Canada Highway. This was south-central Manitoba, like west of Portage la Prairie, Manitoba. So that's like around the area, but it was on the highway when this happened. Bus 1170 was traveling to Winnipeg, but would make a stop that forever changed the lives of all 37 passengers. Oh, God. Tim McLean was stabbed, beheaded, and cannibalized at the hands of Vincent Lee. Holy shit. On the bus in front of passengers. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Yeah. Woo. So... I scoured the internet looking for more information about Tim McLean, and shockingly enough, there's not that much information about who Tim was. Like, when wow. he graduated, some of his passions and such, like, I couldn't even find an autopsy report, like an actual autopsy report. Yeah, probably because of the nature of it, to be honest. Well, instead, I found a mention in one of my sources about what was on the autopsy. Mm -hmm. But this happened in Canada, 
And I tried my best to get the autopsy report on Tim, but could find nothing on it. So that was disappointing. But maybe it's public knowledge in Canada, but it's apparently, I guess, not public knowledge here. And I'm not quite sure on that. Yeah, I honestly wouldn't even know how that would work. But if any of you listening, like if you guys tend to find it, I would love to get my hands on it and do a quick like update report on it. So you guys know what's in the actual report. But even more shocking, I found all this information on Vincent Lee, his killer. Wow, that is a little yeah. that is a little odd. Yeah, so Timothy Richard McLean Jr. was born on October third, nineteen eighty five in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Tim grew up outside of Winnipeg in a farming community, and he also grew up in Eli, Manitoba as well. In these types of, like, urban, rural areas, a large chunk of Winnipeg is urban, but, like, the surrounding areas, from what I understand, are more rural. Mm-hmm. Rural? I, rural? I can, I can never say that word right. Yeah, rural is a really hard word to say. Rural. (laughs) And I already have a speech impediment, and trying to say that is just, okay, I'm just going to say a large chunk of Winnipeg is urban, (laughs) and the surrounding areas are country. Good. (laughs) Okay, that way. Uh, Anyway, the kids would have to, like, entertain themselves and make their own fun. Which, you know, he's an 80s baby like me. And I can tell you, growing up as a kid and having to entertain yourselves really wasn't hard for us back in the day. Yeah. But we really didn't have anything to be bored about. There was always something for us to do. When we got bored, we'd come up with games, you know, live action role playing in the backyard pretending like you're a character you know yeah that me and my little brother would wear naruto headbands and throw rubber shuriken at each other <laughs> right right so you know i was on that nerdy shit early <laughs> <laughs> it was just like we were pretty much forced to play outside thanks mom <laughs> no but seriously uh i thank my mother for forcing us to be outside cuz i got a lot of time with my brother as i'm sure the same way that Tim McLean was close with his siblings and playing with his siblings. I searched everywhere and couldn't find any information to tell me the names of his siblings, except for one. Um, There was one article written by his little brother, Kendall, and it was basically going over memories of like who Tim was and how he was with people and life. And the last couple of times he had heard from Tim He also writes, to mark the anniversary of his passing, I just want to ask people to tell everyone you love that you love them. None of us are promised tomorrow, so stay up to date with each other. Oh, my God, my heart. So I'll include this article in the show notes so you can read the entire letter that Kendall wrote about Tim. But I'm going to go ahead and, you know, start getting into the actual meat of the case. Gotcha, um, gotcha. So Tiffany LaBelle is Tim's lifelong friend. You know, she says that he was an extrovert, that he was eager to interact with people and talk with them and get to know them. She said that he could walk up to literally just anybody and within moments he knows everything about them and they're basically friends. And Oh, wow. He was just one of those souls that kind of spark people to he talk and share. He was not a shy person at all. And yeah. he just kind of exuberated that 
that energy. It made people comfortable with him. Right, right. Yeah, because he was just fun to be around, highly energetic, and he loved to travel. He was definitely the adventurous type. Oh, he seems like a good guy. I did find a little bit with Tiffany's version of events on a documentary as far as like how they got tied into where he was at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So in his late teenage years, Tim moved from Winnipeg to live with his father, Tim Sr., and stepmother, Nadine, in Manitoba. And Nadine, Tim Sr.'s wife, said in an interview that Tim had aspirations to travel and be famous. She stated, and I quote, he said, one day everybody will know who I am. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, the way that just gave me chills, like literally just like gave me chicken legs. I'm reduced to chicken legs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Tiffany had landed a job with the Western Canada Carnival Circuit at the Red River Exhibition. She then called Tim and referred him to get a job there with her. So she called him up and she was like, hey, I don't know what you're doing this summer, but, you know, he said nothing. And she was like, pack a bag for at least a week, like at least a week. I don't know when we're coming back, but pack your bag. And Tim didn't have anything going on. So, you know, of course, he packed himself a bag. He was ready to go. They had made plans to travel with this carnival. Oh, wow. That sounds kind of that sounds kind of yeah, cool. Everybody dreams about just getting up and running away with the carnival. They were going to travel with the carnival. They were going to make money, travel, meet new people, and just have a great summer, you know, working this job. It was an impromptu journey. <laughs> Look, listen, I'm sorry. What? Since you said it, I couldn't help but laugh. But you were like, everybody's dream is to get up and run away with the carnival. And then that sent me into like a flashback of like, <laughs> it sent me into a flash of my whole childhood of like all the times that I would watch Chris Angel Mind Freak and stare at pencils and all the time that I would watch like David Blaine. And I was convinced I that know I know I'm a sideshow freak. I just like, know it. <laughs> I was convinced that I had telekinesis and I didn't exactly think think of like a carnival but i remember thinking of wanting to like <laughs> run away with chris angel mind freak and i was like <laughs> it's just when you said it it sparked me to like think and laugh i was like is it everybody's dream to get up and run away with the carnival possibly possibly but you so, know excuse me <laughs> excuse my brain i'm so sorry <laughs> that is so great i mean it, it was just a pickup journey that turned into one of his passions. Yeah, I mean, I could see where that would be, like, exciting. I mean, I can't say if you called me and was like, Hey, Gage, pack your bag. We're going to go, like, travel with a carnival. I'd be like, uh, let me... Ha- give, give me, like, ten minutes to get my Nintendo Switch and all of my ear-piercing jewelry and everything that I'll need. But, yes, I'm coming. I'm ready. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I thought see- you were going to rain check me. No, 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 no. I would have been like, you know, yeah, I can't say that I would say no. You know, <laughs> So, Tim, he was a carnival barker, and these guys are the guys that, like, work the games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they just stand there, and they're talking to you, and they're, you know, with the crowd and everything. So that's what he did. And this was his job, like, a dream job for him. So oh wow, he was able to interact with new people every day. And not only was he enjoying his days working, but in the evening time, he'd party as hard as he worked. The workers at the carnival were, like, very tight-knit. Very lit. (laughs) Very tight-knit and very lit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can support that. <laughs> it was like they were this community of people that all traveled together. They partied together. They were really like family to Tim. Yeah. And he was making good money. But, of course, the money he was making, it was spent as quickly as it came in. Yeah. From all the partying. <laughs> I mean, we know how that is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but this didn't stop Tim. He continued to travel with the carnival to the next town and the next and the next. That does seem kind of like a life to live, don't it? Really? <laughs> really? Like you're traveling all over the country? You're seeing stuff. these carnival shows, different places, different people, like yeah. different parts of the country, like... That just honestly sounds kind of cool. Like, even though we're laughing about it, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I can bet that was a pretty unique experience for him. So, he'd record videos on his camcorder to show his family and friends back home, too. Mm -hmm. And he was really looking forward to seeing everyone back in Winnipeg and planning his move to British Columbia. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when the chance came that he could take a week off from the carnival, he took it. Mm -hmm. Now... Sources say different things, whether he had a girlfriend back home. Yeah. Uh, some even mentioned that she was possibly pregnant and he was wanting to settle down in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. Or he was single and doing all of this and wanting to move to settle down. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So it's one of the two. You know, his carnival friends, when he took this week off... They actually offered to pay for a plane ticket for him to go back to Winnipeg, but he respectfully declined the offer. He wanted to ride the bus home. Oh, God. He, you know, loved to travel, and he just wanted, like, that anonymity, even though you're around people, of just riding the bus home. Yeah. No, I so, understand that. I mean, kind of. But this decision unknowingly sealed his fate. That literally, that makes my stomach hurt, my heart hurt, my soul hurt. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like when victims in these cases, when you learn their story and it turns out that there was literally, like it boils down to a singular choice that if they would have chose differently, it would have been a matter of them living versus them dying. Like, do you remember the Cassie Stoddart case? Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, listeners, if you're new or if you haven't heard that one, the Cassie Joe Starter case, we do have an episode on that. It's really, really, really bad. <laughs> right. Really bad. We won't even get into it. But, you know, in her story, the night that everything happened to her, her boyfriend's mom had literally invited her. Hey, why don't you come stay with us? I'll take you back to right. your aunt and uncle's the next day. Yeah. And it's like... And she chose to stay behind so she could, you know, do what she was doing, watching the animals and stuff. And it's just like, God, like if yeah. that choice literally did seal your fate and that just it chills me and it breaks my heart. And I hate that. That just gave me the utmost goosebumps when you said that. Like that the he wanted chilling to ride thing the about home. it is even every single decision we make in life, even like right now, you and me, every single decision that we make in life could end up like that. Yeah, it's, it could it's happen really, really to scary. anybody. It's just tomorrow's just not promised. So fate and future are ever changing. Exactly, and that's why Kendall in that article was like, "Tell your people that you love them because you, you never just know. Never know, right? God, you never that know. is that is ridiculously heartbreaking. My so, God, I'm probably gonna butcher some of this. I don't 
speak Chinese, so bear with me. But Vincent Lee was born in Dandong, Liaoning, China, on April 30th, 1968. In 1992, Vince was a graduate from the Wuhan Institute of Technology mm-hmm. with a bachelor's degree in science, mainly like computing. More specifically, like just working with computers. Oh, like computer science. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So from 1994 to 1998, he worked in Beijing as a computer software engineer. Oh, he was wow. a very so educated man. I was man. about to say smart guy. Yeah. Very smart guy. So he later immigrated to Canada on June 11th, 2001, and he became a Canadian citizen on November 7th, 2006. Okay. Things just weren't going right for Vince. Like, he couldn't get a job in the field that he studied for, and he had a wife to take care of. Oh, wow. I mean, that's sad. Yeah, like, things just were not working out for him. So he worked menial jobs in Winnipeg at the Grant Memorial Church for six months to support his wife. Mm -hmm. Her name's Anna. Okay. And Pastor Tom Caster, who employed Vince, told CTV Winnipeg, He seemed happy to have a job and was committed to doing it well, despite a language barrier with other congregation members. Oh, wow. I think he would occasionally feel frustrated with not being able to communicate or understand, but we have very patient staff members, and he seemed to respond well. Castor also said he did not show any signs of anger issues or any other trouble before he quit in the spring of 2005. Wow, that's interesting. He then worked as a forklift operator in Winnipeg while his wife worked as a waitress. There was an instance, however, where Vince was hospitalized in 2003 or 2004 after he was picked up by Ontario Provincial Police who found him walking along a highway following the sun because he was ordered to by God. What? Yes. Wait, what? He was walking down a highway following the sun because he was ordered to by God. Oh, shit. Yeah. Again, I couldn't find any further information on this incident, but it happened. And I'm gathering that he was given little to no help for his condition, according to Anna. He never sought medical attention after being diagnosed with schizophrenia in 2005. Oh, my goodness. His wife that is say, a dangerous thing yeah, to really not is. have treated. That is a dangerous thing to not have treated. I mean, I can only imagine I'm not schizophrenic, but that's just something that I would feel like probably needs treatment rather than not. Yeah. You, you know, like, oh, I'm already starting to see like an image painted here, at least in my own mind. I won't spill too much, but like, oh, this is making me sick. His wife would say that he would be gone for, like, long periods of time. He'd take unexplained bus trips and sometimes rambled. And according to those who knew him, he had mental problems, but he wasn't known to be a violent man. Okay. So, you know, the people that he is around, they can see that, like, something is not right there. But, like they said, he was never violent. He never had anger issues. So this is just something that he was, this was his reality. This is what he's living with. 
Vince then picked up and moved to Edmonton in 2006, abruptly leaving his wife in Winnipeg to fend for herself until she joined him later. And in 2006, he was allegedly, I guess, going through a separation with Anna. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why either he left her abruptly because of his, you know, he was known to take these long trips and just disappear. Whether it was through the separation or it was because of that, they were no longer together. Gotcha. So the following clip is a dramatization that is played by actors. However, they are using actual transcripts from an interview Vince had with Dr. Stanley Yarin. The hours of talking to Vince after this whole bus incident was all recorded. These transcripts of those interviews were made basically for the record. Gotcha. And you'll hear about Dr. Yarin a good amount going forward. He's the director of the Adult Forensic Psychiatry Program for Manitoba and the Winnipeg Region Health Authority and serves as the deputy clinical head of the mental health program of Winnipeg Health Sciences Center. He is presently an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Manitoba. He specializes in forensic psychiatry, which is a branch of psychiatry concerned with the intersection of like mental illness and the law. So he is like an expert in his field. Gotcha, gotcha. You came to Canada in 2001? With my wife. We live in Winnipeg. I joined a church there. I was baptized and became a Christian. My wife and I disagree about many things. We argue all the time and we separated. As I said, those were actors. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so he continued to work. He had a job at Walmart, at a fast food restaurant, and a newspaper delivery. Like at the he, same time? At the same time. Damn. Yeah. Like he was he was hustling. He was working. So his Goodness. delivery boss, Vincent Auger, described him as reliable, hardworking, and not showing any signs of trouble. Four weeks before the bus incident, he was actually fired from Walmart following some sort of disagreement with the other employees. And shortly before the incident, Vince asked Vincent Augert for time off from his newspaper delivery job to go to Winnipeg for a job interview. Okay. Before he left on his trip, he left Anna a note that said, I'm gone. Don't look for me. I wish you were happy. Oh, shit. His wife ended up answering the phone because, like, as this is going on and time is passing, Vincent Auger contacted Anna and basically he was like, you know, he asked for, you know, a couple days off for this, that, and the third. Like, is he going to show up tomorrow, basically? Yeah. And she answered the phone and was like, there's some sort of emergency. Like, I, I don't know where he's at. Like, she literally had no clue where he had gone. Just all she had was that note. Yeah. Oh, shit. According to Dr. Yaron, it was around this time that Vince was hearing a voice in his head that he believed came directly from God, warning him about evil people and ordering him what to do. Oh, no. So he packed his bags, 
his laptop. Oh, no. And a hunting knife. Oh. A buck knife. And he boarded a Greyhound bus leaving Edmonton. This is really just like a chance encounter between Tim and Vince because Tim had somewhere he was going. Vince boarded just like a random bus headed to, you know, I guess, I guess he was going to go to Winnipeg, but it was just like a horribly grim crossing of fate. Exactly. Oh, my God. Because Dr. Yaren, he believes it was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time for both Vince and Tim. And I know it's rough to put it that way, but when you think about it, it's both sad and scary at the same time. He rode that bus on that route 24 hours before Tim McLean would be headed in the same direction. Oh, my goodness. And according to Vince... God told him that his life was in danger and evil people would try to kill him. His plan was to ride straight through to Winnipeg. And if he had done that, he would have never met Tim McLean. But on July 29th, around 6 p.m., Vince actually got off the bus in Erickson, Manitoba. And Vince said that God told him to stay in Erickson. Oh, my God. Erickson is like a small town and visitors tend to stick out around there. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take long for 15-year-old Darren Beatty to spot Vince on a bench next to a grocery store just staring off into space. Oh, my God. According to one witness, he was seen at 3 a.m. sitting bolt upright with his eyes wide open just staring off into space and he didn't sleep at all. Oh, no. On the morning of July 30th, still at the bench, he put a note on his laptop that said for sale $600. So Darren Beatty, because Darren Beatty, when he first saw him, he was at work across the street pumping gas. Gotcha. So he knew he was there. And that next day, when he saw him, he encountered him. And he asked him if he wanted to purchase the laptop. So Vince is asking Darren Beatty if he wants to purchase the laptop. Gotcha. Sorry if that got confusing. No, I gotcha. Darren told him, I don't have that much money. And for $60, Darren got the laptop. That's definitely a, a leap from 600 Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, I guess, um, a good condition laptop or whatever that Vince just... Sold for 60 bucks. He just wanted it gone, apparently. And he also offered to sell his bag for more money, but Darren declined. That is so interesting. Interestingly odd. Yeah. Like, it's just odd. It's just odd. The laptop was seized, by the way, by the RCMP. And that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The RCMP. Gotcha, gotcha. And they collected this laptop as evidence. Mm -hmm. Darren was subsequently given a new laptop for his honesty by an anonymous businessman. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, that was nice. So it still worked out. Yeah, that was was nice. Darren was the only person to encounter Lee while he was in Erickson. The only person. Wow. Vince then waited for the next bus, and shortly before 6 p.m., he boarded bus 1170, headed to Winnipeg which was carrying Tim McLean and 35 other passengers. When Vince boarded the bus, he sat at a seat in the front, sitting quietly and just staring off into space. 
But strange enough, he was wearing sunglasses the entire time. Okay. He never took the sunglasses off. Just like Terminator 2 type shit. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is kind of a scary image to think about. Like, no, not a, you know, a guy on the bus just wearing sunglasses. That's not inherently scary for any reason. I guess I'm just already filled with anxiety because of the context. Well, you're right to feel that way because he's (laughs) wearing these sunglasses and it's getting dark outside. And the Greyhound bus, like when they're moving, they dim their lights down really, really low so people can sleep. Oh, my goodness. So he's essentially in the dark with very dimmed lights and the light off of the TV screens on the Greyhound bus because they're playing a movie. Mm -hmm. So he's wearing sunglasses in that situation. Yeah, that that is strange, I guess one could say. And... He's sitting in the front of the bus, and Tim McLean is sitting in the back of the bus. So you like you have the bathroom, and then you have the back row, and then you have the row that Tim McLean was on. Greyhound buses have bathrooms. On yes, them? in the back of them, Holy they have a toilet. Shit. Uh, surprise! I've never uh, ridden a bus before, and that you know, I don't know what gives it away, but yeah, I totally didn't <laughs> know that there were bathrooms. There are bathrooms on airplanes. There's bathroom on Greyhound buses. There is not bathrooms on any type of uh, public transportation, though. Yeah, see, that's just strange. I mean, I knew there were bathrooms on airplanes and cruise ships, but I just didn't think about there being a bathroom on, like, a bus. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, because a lot of those trips, like, I know from experience, a trip from Atlanta to North Carolina Mm -hmm. took well over 12 hours, and that's, like, a six-hour drive at most. Crazy. Yeah, so they, you know, because they stop in smaller cities to, like, let people on or off. They stop for meal breaks, that type of thing. But not bathroom breaks. Not bathroom breaks. They have a bathroom in the back. <laughs> well, <laughs> good. To, you learn something new every day, it seems. Yeah, so basically. Stick around. We might teach you something useful. You, you now know that uh, <laughs> there's a bathroom on the back of a Greyhound bus. Uh <laughs> Mind blow. (laughs) (laughs) So you have the bathroom and then you have a row and then you have the row that Tim McLean was on and he was asleep. Across from the aisle from Tim is a married couple, Stephen Allison and his wife, Isabel. Mm -hmm. So Stephen claimed that he had a bad feeling that something was going to happen, like as they were like getting on the bus or whatever. Oh, they just had that, that feeling. He just... Didn't know what the problem was, but he couldn't put his finger on it, but something was wrong. So Stephen was already on high alert and like hyper focused on everything around him. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, our listeners, our babies, you guys have got to trust and listen to yourself when you feel like something is wrong, like around you. Listen to your intuition. This case scares me in particular because I already don't sleep around people I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't either. I've ridden on a Greyhound bus before, like I said, from Georgia to North Carolina. And it's insane to me. The lights are dimmed down, so you've got people coming and going in low light, like, around your person. Mm -hmm. You have no idea who's armed with something and who's not. And people can actually sleep like that. Uh, that I mean, I've never ridden a bus for that reason. I mean, I've never been in an airplane either. It, just, like, it gives me anxiety. I think the fuck not. It's a no for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
<laughs> so the bus same same <laughs> right i can comfortably say same so the bus stops for a meal break in brandon and when everyone is getting back on the bus tim goes to his seat in the back of the bus mm-hmm. and when vince boards the bus he's holding his duffel bag in his hands like to his chest mm-hmm. and he's walking down the aisle he is turning his head to look at Every single person that he's walking past. Oh, my God. It's creepy, and he still has the sunglasses on. Uh Uh-uh. No. Creepy. No. No. He gets to the back of the bus. Oh, no. He leaves his seat from the the front of the bus. Oh, no. He passes right by it. And as he's walking down the aisle and he's looking at people, Tim, like, acknowledges him, like, with, uh, I guess, a nod or a, hey, how are you? Oh, no. And Vince <laughs> ends up sitting next to Tim McClain. No. Sitting quietly, bag in his lap, sunglasses on his face, just sitting there calm and emotionless. Steven, who, remember, is sitting across the aisle, said the minute he saw Vince, he knew that bad feeling was because of him. Chills. Literal just chills. Oh, crazy chills. Tim ended up falling back asleep. However, kind of like leaned on the window, totally oblivious to Vince's weird behavior that I'm about to get into. Oh, my goodness. But Stephen had eyes on him the entire time. Vince opens up his duffel bag and pulls out a roll of toilet paper, a two liter of coolness tea. And he would not put the toilet paper down either. Like, he constantly was holding on to the roll of toilet paper. This is so crazy. When he wanted to drink the tea, he would tuck the roll of toilet paper under his chin, then open the tea and drink it with this roll under his chin. What the fuck? And then he would close it, set the two liter back down, and grab the toilet paper roll. And then just continue to hold it like he wouldn't set it down. Yeah. And I bet Steven was just sitting there like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, I don't don't even know what I would do if I saw that, honestly. I mean, it's very weird behavior. Extremely weird. Steven said closer to when it happened, Vince then began to rock back and forth, chanting something to himself. Oh, shit. He also stated that whatever he was chanting was not in English, and he couldn't recognize... What Vince was saying, that he's just chanting, almost like mumbling to himself. Oh, my goodness. Steven decided to keep to himself, but to keep an eye on the situation so he could protect his wife. Because he suspected that something was about to go down. He also stated that the reason why he didn't confront him was because he was afraid that it would turn his attention to him and his wife. Yeah, well, I mean, that's chilling as fuck to me because, like... It's kind of like that same phenomenon of animals being naturally in tune to, like, when they can sense that a disaster is about to happen. They can sense when a predator is on them, yeah. A predator or, like, natural disasters. Like, you know, when there's tsunamis and stuff, like, animals will literally start fleeing, like, way before any, any, like, actual signs are shown. That's kind of like what this is. It's like he had that feeling... He felt like a disaster was about to happen, essentially, and he just instinctively was, like, acting on what he thought was going to keep him safe, but, like, he knew something was going to happen. Yeah. That's, like, that's, like, so chilling to me. Yeah. Oh, that's so chilling. So, Vince then opens his bag and pulls out this large hunting knife. It's like a buck knife. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So some people, I guess, would call it a Rambo knife. You know, a buck knife. It's what you use to skin buck with. Yeah, I've definitely heard the term buck knife, but yeah. I'm not too savvy on my knife and knife types. I'm just going to let you know. He was looking at Stephen holding this knife. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And as soon as Vince turns to his right, he was, Stephen was up out of his seat, running down the aisle, yelling, stop the bus, someone's getting stabbed. He turned to the right and just started stabbing him in the neck and the chest. And he was asleep. So seconds later, Tim lets out this loud, blood-curdling scream because he's being woken up by being stabbed to death. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The other passengers were rushing to get off the bus as quickly as they could, almost trampling each other to get out. Holy shit. Stephen recalls seeing Tim trying to fight off his attacker, but he was getting weaker and weaker. Meanwhile... Everyone gets off the bus and they're they're looking up at the window of the Greyhound and they can see Vince still attacking Tim. They can see everything. Oh my god. Steven is trying to get back to his wife because he didn't think she got off the bus. Oh my god. And he notices there are three people stuck in the back of the bus. The row behind Tim, there was a young mother and her son and his wife sitting there at the aisle next to what's going on they're all three of them are just paralyzed in fear holy shit it was at this point that tim had tried to jump over his attacker and ended up falling to the floor because he was so weak oh my god and it didn't matter that he was on the floor vince just continued to stab him over and over and over again by the time Stephen got to his wife, Vince had stabbed him 50 to 60 times. Oh, my. So just like frenzy stabbing. Yes. Holy shit. There was no hope for saving Tim McLean. Witness Garnet Catton said the attacker seemed oblivious to others when the stabbing occurred, adding he was struck by how calm the man was. There was no rage. There was no anything. He was just like a robot stabbing him he said oh my god steven managed to get them out of the back of the bus by climbing over the seats to like go around the mayhem everyone is obviously freaking out rightfully so but you have this group of people who are downright terrified for their life there was crying there was puking no telling what was going through these people's minds and i'm sure the sounds alone of someone being stabbed is enough to make anyone puke. I literally can't even, I can't, I can't imagine. Vince was totally preoccupied with Tim McLean and continued to stab him as he lay on the floor. He did not, as I said, pay attention to any of the other passengers, even as the bus was being vacated. He appeared oblivious to the demands of the bus driver, Bruce Martin, that he stopped what he was doing. Several people indicate that after everyone had vacated the bus, Mr. Lee came to the front of the bus and tried to exit. The bus driver was able to close the door on Lee's arm with the bloody knife extended outside the bus. Oh my, oh my God. Like, like slasher serial killer looking, coming out the door. This is fucking insane. Lee was able to pull his arm back into the bus. And he returned to the rear of the bus 
where he then defiled the body of Tim McLean, dismembering him. Mr. Martin immediately called 911, and once everyone was safely off the bus and the bus door was closed, that's when they made the call. My jaw is on the goddamn floor. As Greyhound Bus 1170 pulled onto the shoulder, Bernie Skirup, the driver of the second Greyhound Bus that was following bus 1170 Mm -hmm. they were carrying a passenger overload and they realized that pulling over and stopping the bus was very unusual Mm -hmm. because of the way that he pulled over so mr skirup stopped his bus on the shoulder in front of bus 1170 so he just drives up on another greyhound bus and these no 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 they were following each other like that bus was carrying an overload of passengers from that trip oh gotcha so like this secondary bus driver kind of saw all of this he saw the bus pull over real weird so he drove past the bus and pulled up in front gotcha 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 Mr. Skirup attended Greyhound Bus 1170 and observed that Vince was at the back of the bus. He then entered the bus and called out to Mr. Lee as he continued to stab the body of Tim McLean. Jesus. Mr. Lee responded by stating, get emergency. Chris Aldwire, who is a truck driver, was being flagged down by a passenger screaming for help and that somebody was being stabbed. So he armed himself with a heavy metal bar from the back of his truck. The driver, uh, Bruce Martin, who went to the back of the bus and sometime during this, Mr. Lee had tried to, I guess, drive off in the bus. So he was at the back of the bus where the engine was and he immobilized the engine so he couldn't drive off. Gotcha, gotcha. Chris Aldwire armed with this bar, and some sources say even Garnet Catton, who was previously sitting in the seat in front of Tim and Vince, some sources say Chris went on the bus by himself, and other sources say these two men made an attempt to rescue Tim from his attacker. But whether it was just Chris by himself or Chris and Garnet together, he or they stood there in shock and watched in horror as Vince Lee bent down over Tim's body and began decapitating him. I'm going to quote Chris here. Yeah. So this is a quote from Chris. Uh, When he was asked what was going through his mind at the time, he stated, I'd never wanted to hurt somebody so severely in my life until that point. And that still hasn't changed. He also stated that he didn't try to take on Lee, Because he felt a duty beyond himself to make sure this guy wasn't going to hurt anyone else. There was nothing he could do for Tim, unfortunately. Tim was already gone because the first two stabs alone were fatal. Oh, my. So whether Tim was alive or not through multiple stabs, I don't know. Because I don't have an autopsy report. I don't have an official time of death. This is what I have. So that makes it a little hard. But basically, Chris said that he had to think of the others. There were women and children and other men who didn't want to be involved, obviously. And I could not even begin to fathom how traumatizing yeah. that this was. I, I literally could not even begin to imagine. Like, this is insane. This is only the beginning of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And... You have to imagine, like, that's an extremely tough decision. That's hard right there because you are making a, a decision where you're like, I know I can fight and I could probably take him down, but 
the best course of action was unfortunately leaving Tim there and barricading this guy up until the police get there. Yeah. I never, and I hope I'm never in a situation like that. I, I wouldn't even know what to do. I mean, you can't really fault them for, for their ways of thinking. Like, you know, like we can sit and judge, you know, they should have done this. They should have done that. But actually, they couldn't save it. Actually get in that situation. And then, you know, you right. can talk about what you would or what you wouldn't do. You right. know, So it's like, I, I commend them. I couldn't imagine. They were just trying to handle it the best way that that they, they could to. while being under mental distress. Yeah, because again, know? like, can you imagine? No, you can't. <laughs> so Vince Lee had cut off Tim's head. Son of a bitch, bro. And son was of a bitch. Holding the head in his hand by the hair and with the knife in the other hand. This is like legit horror movie shit. He turned and began to walk toward Chris. And Chris was basically like, I need to de-escalate the situation and back out of the bus. But while they were barricading the door. How he held his shit together. Yeah. To that degree is like beyond me. I don't, I guess it, it might have been. I probably would have pissed myself. Like, well, it might have been, you know, survival instinct basically kicking in at that point. I don't know, but like, I commend that because I, like you said, I probably would have like cried, puked, and like shit all over myself. So one source says that while they were barricading the door, Vince was slashing at anything he could trying to slash at them through the door. But in Chris's retelling of what happened, and this is the one that I tend to believe, because we already know earlier he did get his arm out of the door. Mm -hmm. Slasher type shit. Yeah. So this is the version that I believe is Chris's retelling. And he said that Vince walked slowly up to the door and basically gave him a good look of the knife and Tim's head. Oh my god. Oh my god. Vince would then go on to walk up and down the aisle, showing everyone through the window that he had Tim McLean's head in his hand. Could you fucking imagine? No, I absolutely 100% could not. I feel like I'm about to fucking throw up. Say you're a passenger with this going on. Not only did you hear the attack and the stabbing, but now you see this man has this passenger's head in his hand and just walking back and forth like it's a trophy. I would just have a mental breakdown. I don't know what I would do or think or feel if I ever saw some shit Again, like that. Again, like I said, I would cry puke and literally shit myself. Like looking, me looking at death scene photos and autopsy photos does not fucking compare to seeing something like that in real life. No, and no, definitely not. So Lee ends up going back to dismember the body. The voices in his head are telling him that if he doesn't dismember the body, it will come back alive and kill him. Oh my god. By now, the RCMP are on the scene. And get this shit. They made no attempt whatsoever to board the bus or stop Vince from dismembering and cannibalizing Tim's remains. D dismembering and cannibalizing? Yes. They did keep radio contact with their headquarters, telling them everything that he was doing. They even codenamed him as Badger. Here are some of their transmissions. Badger appears to be a six foot tall Asian male with short dark hair, black t-shirt, armed with a knife right now. Badger is armed with a knife and a pair of scissors and he's defiling the body at the front of the bus as we speak. 
Zulu Delta One at your leisure. Good evening, show. Badgers at the back of the bus, um, hacking off pieces and eating it. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a lot. And I know this may sound weird, but... Like, to me, the code name of Badger, like, makes him scarier. <laughs> like, that makes him scarier to me. Like, he's doing all of this, and you're going to call him Badger? No, ma'am. That is a fuck no for me. Anyways, continue. I just wanted to state my level of fuck no for me. <laughs> At this point in the story. Okay. I'm so, so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. By 9 p.m., police were in a standoff with Vince, and they had summoned special negotiators and a heavily armed tactical unit. Holy well, almost like SWAT, right? Holy shit. So Vince taunted the police, alternately pacing the length of the bus and cutting and defiling Tim's corpse. God, oh my God, oh my God, oh uh, my fucking God. Yeah. Corporal Harder of the RCMP attempted to communicate with Mr. Lee and asked him to drop the knife out of a small window that was like, it's located in the bathroom. There's like a small window. Gotcha. And Mr. Lee's only response was some unintelligible words, plus words to the effect that he had to stay on the bus forever. Yeah. And as the officers watched, Vince Vince continued to mutilate both the head and the body of Tim McLean using both the buck knife and a pair of scissors. Holy fucking Corporals Brown and Smith noted that Mr. Lee appeared to smell and then eat parts of his flesh. He also appeared to lick blood from his fingers and hands. Mr. Lee also continued to carry Tim McLean's internal organs and various body parts throughout the bus. What? Yeah. Yeah. His He took out Tim's organs and they were like scattered around the bus. Motherfucking fluff fact now. Okay. Now. Well, hi, beautiful. If you've made it this far into this episode, then you are a brave one for sure. Me and Ray sincerely appreciate you listening to our show. Like, it's really rad that you stick around with us. And today, I'm just going to bring you a fluff fact. A fluff fact is something we use to diffuse a situation when we're talking about something that's a wee bit too much for us. You know, it just happens like that. We have episodes like that. But nonetheless, for today's fluff fact... I just want to tell you about my most fond childhood memory. And yes, this is an actual story. Like, I'm not just making these things up on the whim of entertainment. It's real and it's fond and it's bad. So it takes place in the spring of 2006. Me and my family were visiting St. George Island, Florida. If you've been there, then you know how great slash awful it is. But regardless, we were vacationing there as we did two times a year every year. Well, I went swimming this one day. And I had my Creature of the Black Lagoon goggles and webbed gloves and Spider-Man bathing suit intact. And I went into the water confidently, swam around, you know, doing my thing. Creature of the Black Lagooning. And then, (laughs) I don't know when or how, but long story short, I swam into a jellyfish breeding nest. And I actually got stung all over my body 
to the point of literally passing out in the water and my grandfather thought I was drowning. I was in the hospital for three days and I can't even eat jelly out of a jar, even though I know it has nothing to do with jellyfish. <laughs> now back to today's case. So to reiterate, Vince started taking Tim's internal organs and various body parts and were scattering them throughout the bus. Oh and my. then later returning to bag them in white plastic garbage bags. Where he got the garbage bags from, I don't know if it was in his bag. Or maybe on the bus, like somebody else's stuff. Who knows? Maybe. I can um, imagine people were, you know, probably not too concerned with grabbing their shit trying to get off that bus. I can imagine. Right. So... He also carried the head of Tim McLean from time to time. Like, he would pick it up and carry it around. And So, meanwhile, these stranded passengers, they were transported from the scene to be interviewed at the Brandon RCMP detachment. Mm-hmm. So, that way they could, you know, give their statements and stuff like that. Gotcha. Tell me why the RCMP waited for four hours as Vince Lee continued to cannibalize and defile the body of Tim McLean. Four hours? Four. Uh, they were on the scene for four hours. And didn't you say they they had like a, a heavily armed task force, right? Like basically like yes. SWAT forces? Yes. In fact, in Chris, the truck driver, when he was interviewed... He actually said that he walked up to someone who was holding an automatic rifle and he was like, why aren't you doing anything? That is a little more than enraging. I will say that. Again, like, that's insane. They were on scene watching this with mm -hmm. the rest of these people for four hours. And again, no attempts were made. They're just sitting there for four hours watching everything he's doing, talking back and forth on the communications to headquarters like unbelievable. It wasn't until hours later when Vince tried to jump out the window and subsequently was overpowered by the RCMP. Mm -hmm. he, he, was, he tried to jump out of the window to, like, attack everyone? No, to escape. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I was about to say, oh, my God. He couldn't drive the bus <sighs> off, you know. Yeah, the engine had been immobilized, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so Vince was struggling, screaming, and refused to surrender his hands. Like, he was just, you know, obviously not okay. In the throes of psychosis, it seems. Yeah. He was tased two times and put in the back of the cruiser. Shit. Prepare yourself. Oh, no, don't tell me it gets any worse. <laughs> they found Tim's nose, ear, and tongue... In a plastic bag in Vince's pocket. What the fuck? Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, that's a big one. So that morning, forensics found parts of Tim McLean's body scattered all over the bus. It was a very brutal and horrific murder. Very visceral. A third of Tim's heart was gone. Gone. And his eyeballs were never found or recovered. It's believed that these missing body parts were consumed by Vince Lee. Holy shit. I literally just stuttered to tell me that. <laughs> like, I am a mess right now. Oh my god. He was so badly dismembered that they couldn't even identify him by his tattoos. I 
Because guys, guys, I'm sorry. I'm just not able to say much other than, oh my God, like I, holy shit, I literally don't know what to say. Like, good Lord. Sometimes tattoos are paramount in aiding in the identification process, so. Absolutely. I know of cases where that exact thing was done, so. Yeah, yeah, it was really. That is insane. Yeah. <laughs> that his body was that, I mean, from what you said, I mean, I get it, but it's like. Holy shit. It's really set in now, hasn't it? That's ex- It's extreme. Yeah. Real life horror movie shit. So a variety of Tim McLean's body parts and organs were found. The tip of the blade was located in the skull of his forehead area, just above the inner aspect of the right eyebrow. And the autopsy reveals the small mention that I got from one of my sources. The autopsy reveals that the cause of death of Tim McLean was multiple stab wounds. The body of Tim McLean showed evidence of damage in excess of 100 areas, ranging from abrasions to a large gaping wound of the chest. Oh my god. The horrific tale was a headline story, obviously. It was known all over the world, but... The victim wasn't identified in any of these reports for the next 24 hours, while forensics did the best they could with this one. There were pieces of this poor man all over this bus. All over this bus. I literally cannot fucking imagine. Tim McLean Sr. Like, this is literally mind-bending as fuck. Yeah. So his father, Tim McLean Sr., said his son had sent him a text message around 7.30 p.m. as the bus was leaving Brandon. Because remember, Brandon was where they had the meal break. Yeah, yeah. And he asked whether or not he could come home for the night. And he told his son, you know, of course he could. Of course you could come home. Oh, that's fucking awful. Sadly, that was the last time they communicate. Oh, my God. His dad was expecting him for dinner. So he left to get a bucket of fried chicken because it was Tim's favorite. By the time he got back home, some of Tim's friends were there. And they were like, have you heard about what happened to Tim? Oh, my God. And he said, no, no, what happened? And they sat him down in front of his computer. And when they turned on the screen, it was front page. Oh, my God. I literally could not imagine. I could not imagine. The RCMP would not confirm (sighs) reports that... The victim, Tim McLean, was beheaded, saying only that a stabbing took place around 8.30 p.m. On an eastbound Greyhound bus on the Trans-Canada Highway, about 20 kilometers west of Portage La Prairie. My God. An autopsy was scheduled at the Winnipeg Health Sciences Center, and the police were waiting for the results before deciding, with input from the family, whether to make Tim's name public. And they released a statement, the RCMP are mindful of the range of emotions being experienced by the family of the deceased over the loss of their loved one in such a horrific incident. Our thoughts are with them. But really, though, really, though, like, do you really care? Like, y'all let this man defile him and dismember him and then go... Oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. We know how you feel. Yeah, I didn't mean to kind of, I didn't want to cut you off in the middle of what you were saying, but I was sitting here thinking like, 
Yeah, no, you literally had all means necessary to, like, I don't know, stop him for four hours, and you didn't. Right. Like... Even, even in a, because in Canada, they have a, like, preservation for life kind of outlook on things. Mm-hmm. So, it's... It's got to be pretty serious if they do have to fire on someone. Yeah, I would. Well, I would consider this pretty serious. I would consider this pretty serious. Yeah, I I would. I don't know. It might just be me, but I would. But you know, even even if they saw that, you know, that type of law, rubber bullets are a thing. You know, if you've got a SWAT team out there, don't tell me you don't have rubber bullets or anything like any number of things that like. It's like I said, they had literally every tool they needed. Right. To stop him and they did it in four hours. That is a sickeningly long time to be on scene with something like this happening and to not do anything. Right. So I kind of feel you in that. I just, I kind of, I don't know. Like this case, this story goes into some really dark places. Yeah. Extremely dark places into some really fucked up, unimaginable situations. Like I honestly just, I'm all over the place with this one. There's a lot. Like right. there, there's a lot. There's a lot. So Tim McLean's mother, Carol Dedelli, I'm just going to call her Carol. So you have Tim McLean Sr. and his wife, Nadine, and then his ex-wife, Carol, who is Tim's mother. Gotcha. Okay. So Carol heard it first the next day from the news. Then as usual on Thursdays, like she would cook food for the Thursday senior dinner at like the local seniors home. Mm-hmm. And she believed that Tim had already arrived and was home safe with his dad. So prior to this meal, when they're saying grace, they all prayed for the family of the young man they heard about on TV. (gasps) Only to find out 24 hours later from her ex-husband that it was her son. I do recall around lunchtime feeling up in my stomach. And then I immediately dismissed it believing that Timothy was already in Winnipeg. Um, At dinner time, I cooked roast pork for the seniors. We all had, they all had dinner together, and the news was on because, I mean, this was big news. Everybody was watching it. Now, prior to the meal, when the, when when grace was said, we all put out a special prayer to the family of this young man. And I remember, I remember commenting to these senior citizens that, wow, that could have been my son. He came on that same bus, like that time frame, that scheduled bus, but he came two days ago. I understand that they have a preservation of life policy, and clearly my son's life was not um, able to be preserved. It was already gone. But how do you sit and watch what he's doing? This individual ate my child's eyes, a third of his heart, and they allowed that to continue. And I'm supposed to be okay with that? I'm not okay with that. Having had to have, having, having lost him the way I lost him was horrific enough, but knowing that nobody even tried? The RCMP announced that they had charged Vince Lee with second-degree murder. They did say that he had no prior criminal record before this, too. Mm -hmm. And this is what's interesting about this case, because they're both 
Tim and Vince, if you think about it, they're both victims here. I'm not trying to justify this murder, but the way I see it, schizophrenia is such a scary and serious disorder. And because his schizophrenia went unchecked for so long, Vince was lost in his mind in this hell that his mind has created. And in turn, he attacked Tim McLean and killed him. I know what it's like to have intrusive thoughts and... I'm sure a lot of our listeners can sympathize with that, but yeah, nothing like this. But you know, I, I have uh, never heard voices telling me to do things, and that that thought alone is chilling. Like, yeah. could you imagine just sitting there and you hear voices telling you that evil people are around you and that you must kill someone because if you don't, they're going to kill you? Absolutely, fucking not. No. So it's like I I was trying to put myself in like both aspects. Yes, Vince is a victim of his mental illness. Unfortunately, there's nothing he could change about that. However, he did not seek the proper medical attention to get it in check. Absolutely. And that's the problem there. Yeah, there are some many incredible layers to it. Because not only is Vic a victim to his mental illness, but Tim, unfortunately, was too. Yeah. You know, and this is... is this is a horrific one. Like, my God, the layers in this are just incredibly yeah. just, it's it's a little bit much. It's like when we talked about last week with Brenda Spencer, I made that note of, no, we're not defending any of these people that we talk about. Absolutely fucking not. We cannot right. stress that enough. Like, we cannot stress that enough. But you can't help, or at least I can't help, and I know you can't help, to when you learn the all the perspectives and all the different sides and you explore these multiple pathways of thinking and analyzing it. And it's just like, whoosh. And you know, what's I mean, crazy. You, you have to look at it. I mean, I can't help but look at it. Cause I mean, it's, it's a part of it, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Right. You know, does it make it right? No, but is it something that's real and attached to it? Unfortunately? Yes. I, I was just going to say, you know, it's crazy. The fact that we were talking about this because Dr. Yaren uh, Dr. Stanley Yarn that I had talked about earlier, mm-hmm. he actually stated in um, one of the interviews that I watched with him that we see these killers, these murderers as monsters, and we see them only as monsters and not as people because that distances ourselves from them. Exactly. That right. Makes, that's completely true. So, you know, that way it doesn't seem a little like close to home, I guess you could say. Yeah, we have a way of dehumanizing these people. It's like you said last week, because, I mean, obvious reasons. How can someone even begin to think about doing something like this? Right. And it's just that habit that we form. It's our natural reaction to displace how disturbed we are by something like this, you know? Right. Vince appeared for a hearing at the Manitoba Provincial Court in Portage La Prairie around 10 a.m. without a lawyer and refused to speak to anyone. He shuffled into the courtroom in shackles with his eyes focused on the floor and his right hand was heavily bandaged and there was visible bruising on his face. The judge asked him twice whether he had a lawyer, but Vince Lee just stared at the ground. And when the judge asked whether he was exercising his right to remain silent, he just nodded his head. The only thing that came out of his mouth in the first couple of court hearings was was please kill me. Oh, shit. 
So the crown, because Shit. as you know, I guess Canada is like still part under the crown, right? Mm-hmm. So the crown asked for the psychiatric assessment, but the judge said he must see legal aid about getting a lawyer before proceeding any further. And Vince was then remanded, which basically means he was taken back into custody, back to his cell. Mm-hmm. Um, so Larry Hodgins, the Crown prosecutor, said it's early, and I think the judge wants to respect his rights to speak to counsel, and he's giving him that opportunity. He also said, I don't think it will be very long that they'll allow him to do that. Basically saying that if Lee doesn't get his own lawyer, like the court could appoint one and continue anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. So one week after the killing of Tim McLean, Vince Lee was brought to the psychiatric ward of the Health Sciences Center in Winnipeg. And Dr. Stanley Yarn spent hours talking with him and getting to know Vince. And this is what he had to say. People described him as, uh, as, as not being able to participate in normal social conversations. He would blurt out things that seemed to be irrelevant to the conversation or his, his mood seemed to be out of context uh, to the conversation. Having uh, stabbed him repeatedly, his instructions were, and the voice that he received told him that, you know, you must dismember the body. And he was frantic uh, and fearful that he had to do what he was being instructed to do uh, in order to prevent this evil force uh, from from reemerging and continuing to or proceeding to kill him. They medicated him to temper his schizophrenia. And it was at that time that Lee was able to actually open up and talk about that night. He states, I am the evil son of an evil God. Oof. God chose me as the killer and chose Tim McLean as the victim. God controls all people for his own reasons. What the fuck? Vince Lee took responsibility for the death of Tim McLean and had maintained this the entire time. He never once tried to say that he didn't kill him. He did, however, deny eating any of Tim's body. So that may be something he hasn't come to terms with himself, but he says these hands did it. And that's why he thinks that he should be dead. Oh, my God. He asked Dr. Yaron on several occasions early on in the assessment whether they were planning his execution and was quite angry when he found out there's no death penalty in Canada. He expected to be executed. That's insane. I mean, I don't know if I did something like that, which I totally haven't. If I did, I wouldn't admit it on this podcast. But <laughs> I would uh, probably expect to be put to death, too. You know, yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just saying. By all means, don't incriminate yourself. <laughs> my, my brain could just be unhinged. We, we don't know. <laughs> so Vince Lee also stated in the interviews with Dr. Yaron, when asked if he felt he was responsible for what he'd done, he said, yes, I have taken a life. God said I must die. God said I must kill myself. Oh, my God. This is... This is such a fucked case. After 19 visits, Dr. Yaron put together his assessment for the court and stated that he was not criminally responsible for the crime and that he acted appropriately considering what Vince Lee's reality was. His reality was that it was kill or be killed. So, you know, 
because of his reality, his perception being a schizophrenic mind, that was his reality. That was his real life. So to him, like in our real life, if we were presented with a kill or be killed situation, you're going to do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah, I would say most of us can agree that we would do that. So Vince Lee's trial was on March 3rd, 2009 with him uh, pleading not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. Um, this means he accepted that the offense occurred, but claimed that he was unable to form the necessary mental element or in court terms, mens rea. Um, mens rea basically is, it deals with mental illness in the law. Basically, mens rea means, are you mentally competent? To understand what you have done. And furthermore, to stop. Right. Or any of that. Gotcha, gotcha. So the psychiatrist said that Lee performed the attack because he was hearing voices he believed were from God telling him to destroy the demon sitting beside him or he will be killed himself. The presiding judge, John Scurfield, accepted the diagnosis and ruled that Lee was not criminally responsible for the killing. Lee was remanded to the Selkirk Mental Health Center. Lee pleaded not guilty to a charge of second-degree murder. The judge, the jury, and Dr. Yarin all agreed that Lee was not, you know, criminally responsible for killing. God, this is, this is so much. Both the Crown and defense agreed that Lee was suffering from an untreated mental illness. So that is on record. The ruling means he would be sent to a provincial psychiatric facility and it will be up to the Manitoba review board to determine whether he's released and when first he was not able to go unsupervised at the facility at all he was watched 24 7 understandably so (laughs) right and as time passed he then began to be unsupervised at the facility you know because they are medicating him yeah that's Um, true so on june 3rd 2010 is when they granted supervised outdoor walks within his mental health facility as voted by the Provincial Review Board. So then he was supervised by a nurse and peace officer on these walks because he was granted permission to go on these walks Mm -hmm. around Selkirk. Mm -hmm. So walking within the community, but still local to the facility. Gotcha, gotcha. So He He wasn't allowed to go far. Right. He was also allowed to grant a full-length interview with the Winnipeg Free Press, and he actually gave his own permission to the press for it to be published. Oh, wow. So his side of the story could get out. Okay. Um, But now that he's medicated for his illness, he tells the press that the aliens he was afraid of have disappeared. The voices he heard are silent. That he, could be due to him being medicated. Now. Right. That's... And he is aware of why it happened, but like on a different level. He's no longer clouded by his mental illness and was able to completely understand what happened that night. In fact, he's painfully aware of it. He states, I try to forget it. I feel nervous. I feel painful. I am embarrassed. I was wrong. Lee also said he feels sorry for what he did and what it has done to McLean's family. I would do anything for their family. I would ask forgiveness, but I know it would be hard to accept. When asked 
about like when did you begin to experience schizophrenia? Lee stated in 2004, I didn't know what it was. I know now what it is. I began to hear voices that normal people do not hear. Oof. I thought I heard the voice of God telling me to write down my journey. The voice told me that I was the third story of the Bible, that I was like the second coming of Jesus and was to save people from a space alien attack. That is why I traveled around the country. I am not sure of all the places I went to. I now know that it was schizophrenia I was suffering from. And here's some extreme fuckery for you. Just, you know, salt bay it right in there for you. A little sprinkle of fuckery? A little sprinkle of fuckery. A little sprinkle of fuckery. So, the week following the attack, Greyhound Canada announced it was pulling a series of nationwide ads, which included the line, There's a reason you've never heard of bus rage. You've got to be fucking kidding me the incidents had led to numerous calls and petitions demanding increased security on inner city buses yeah after the incident i'm so speechless oh there's a reason you haven't heard of bus rage it's more salt from salt bay here you go people for the ethical treatment of animals PETA sent an advertisement to the Portage Daily Graphic comparing the murder of Tim McLean to the killing of animals for food. The ad was rejected by the paper. PETA was harshly criticized for attempting to exploit the incident in such a manner, and they still refused to apologize. Yeah, that is... That, wow. Woohoo, wow. Mm -hmm. There are some places that this case just takes you, isn't there? (laughs) There are just some places that you strap in and you just go and you got no choice. You're just screaming and wondering, what the fuck? (laughs) I'm sorry. Goodness gracious. (laughs) So the family of Tim McLean have brought a lawsuit of $150,000 against Greyhound, the Attorney General of Canada, and Vince Lee. His mother, Carol, is championing what's now called Tim's Law. And their plight is basically saying that Mr. Lee not spending time in prison for what he's done is an outrage. She has attended House of Commons and Senate committee meetings to ask for the changes to the law pertaining to NCR cases or not criminally responsible cases. Yeah. She's been fighting for years to have Tim's Law put into action. Which would make people like Vince Lee spend the rest of their lives in prison instead of mental health facilities. She states, God, there's just, I feel so much with this one. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by my own perception of this at the moment. There's just like, ooh, there's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Like your brain can just start going down a really intense path. Carol said, Vince Lee got help. Good for him. Maybe he's feeling better today. My son's still dead. What if he chooses not to take his medications? We know what he's capable of. Oh, my God. The chills, the chills, the chills. So on February 16th, 2011. (sighs) Crazy chills. chills. Two passengers, Deborah Tucker of Port Colborne, Ontario, and Kaylee Shaw of London, Ontario, 
filed a lawsuit against Vince Lee, Greyhound, the RCMP, and the Government of Canada for being exposed to the horrific beheading. They are each seeking $3 million in damages, and on July 14, 2015, the two women dropped their lawsuit. It was dropped in 2015 after the bus line said it could not be sued under Manitoba's system of no-fault vehicle insurance. So McLean Sr. and his family also filed a lawsuit of 150000 against Lee, Greyhound, and the Attorney General of Canada as well. Like another one? Mm-hmm. Oh, my Our goodness. lawsuit right now is still in limbo, McLean Sr. said. Adding, he's not allowed to disclose the details of the negotiations. It that, was, is, that is literally wild. And he was quoted, Greyhound does not want to back down on anything, I guess, because they're a big company and they figure that they can do that. We don't believe it's right. This is so sad. It's like I've said a hundred times now, like, this case can just take you some places and, and they're not good places. And yeah. there's, there's so much duality here. Because, like... It's a lot. I feel so equally enthralled in both perspectives of this case. Yeah. Like, both from Tim's family and, oddly enough, Vince's. It's not that I have sympathy for him or that I think it's right or okay in any way. Because, again, we are not defending him. There is no justification for he what he life. did. It, brutally. There, there's just no justification for that. But. I'm just going through it right now because, like, right. the whole untreated schizophrenia thing and how that is, you know, an incredibly severely dangerous mental illness, a really bad one to not have treated. And then you have Tim's family's side of this, which, oh, my God, of course, it's valid. How could it not be like their right. son was taken from them in such a horrific, grotesque way and... How can you blame them for not feeling like justice was served in this situation? Because, I mean, there's a point there with what you just said. It's like, you know, good. Vince got help. That's great. But, like, Tim, He's not so dead. much. Yeah. That just, oh, there's a lot here. There's a lot. All right. We're coming back down the mountain now. Roll your sleeves up, kids. Yes. All right. This is the time to take a pee break and grab a salad. <laughs> <laughs> On July 17th, 2014... The Toronto Sun reported that one of the first officers on the scene, Corporal Ken Barker of the RCMP, mm-hmm. had committed suicide. Whoa, whoa, holy shit. The family stated in his obituary that he had post-traumatic stress disorder. From this crime? Yes. Oh my God. On February 27th, 2015, CBC News reported that Lee was given unsupervised day passes to visit Winnipeg so long as he carried a functioning cellular telephone while using them. Are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. Like, I'm serious. Unsupervised. Unsupervised. As long as he has a working phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God. I, I'm not even going to hyperfixate on that for too long. On May 8th, 2015, CTV News reported that Lee would be granted passes to group homes in the community. So, like, kind of like a halfway house. Mm-hmm. They're trying to reintegrate him into society, basically. Yeah. In February 2016, it was reported that Lee had legally changed his name to Will Baker, and was seeking to leave his group home to live independently. 
He won the right to live alone on February 26th upon the recommendation of the Criminal Code Review Board. On February 10th, 2017, the Manitoba Criminal Code Review Board ordered Lee be discharged. He was granted an absolute discharge, meaning there's no record no of this record happening. of any of this. Yes. And there will be no legal obligations or restrictions pertaining to Vince Lee's independent living. I will tell you right now, the system is hell-bent and focused on rehabilitating and reintegrating that individual back into our society. What you need to understand is this man suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. It is incurable and it is a lifelong illness. It is medication-dependent. In Canada, we have no legal mechanism that would require him to continue treatment after release with no criminal record. He'll have the freedom to cross borders. And when he does cross borders, any border, provincial or, or into the states, wherever he wants to go, when he does cross a border, his mental health diagnosis will not follow him. So literally, he's gotten away with this. Well, yeah. And that concludes my case. That is absolutely awful. I have <laughs> I have little to nothing. I feel like it's very uh, anticlimactic that yeah. I don't feel like I really have a lot to say at the end of that. It's like I was making that small tangent earlier. I'm so enthralled in both sides of understanding that it just... I honestly don't know what to do with it. It honestly just kind of makes me panic. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> this, just kind of sitting there. This one is heavy. And now you know why it took me like two hours to get back to you. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No shit. I see that. I mean, you did an incredible job telling it. I Thank think you. this is awful. <laughs> it's definitely one of the heaviest episodes I think we have yet. So, I mean, good it's job. A lot. <laughs> it's like our saying goes like you did the damn thing and, and i'm glad, glad the, the damn, damn thing, thing is done <laughs> so <laughs> we really hope that you enjoyed our episode this week you guys we love doing it as always uh one small announcement for all of you since it is october Ooh, spooky. Spooky. since it's october me and ray kind of had this idea that Maybe we would throw you guys some spooky content, like maybe some world-famous haunted objects or hauntings or, you know, things of that nature for October to kind of give everyone a little bit of a... The October feeling. Yeah, and also... The Halloween spirit. The Halloween spirit, the pumpkin soul. (laughs) But uh, we've been covering some insanely heavy shit the past (laughs) few weeks, and I thought maybe that would give us all a a small little mental health break from some of this. And (laughs) That'd be great. We could talk about some spook. Some spook. Talk about some spook and some ink. And some (laughs) you got me with that one but yeah so starting next week we will try to roll out some spooky content let us know how you feel about that we're pretty excited we have always said that we wanted to include some more hauntings and urban legends and cryptids and things of that nature but you know october is the perfect month to do that so yeah you can expect to see that from us and if you want to follow me and ray and all of our weird weird you most definitely can (laughs) You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram at Gore Report Podcast. And on Twitter at Gore Report. 
So, uh, yeah. Time to go cry our eyes out and watch cartoons, binge Animal Crossing, anything to get this horrific shit off our minds. Right. So, uh, bye, guys. We love you. Bye. Bye.